Hey church family, so I wasn't expecting to be preaching to you like this this morning, but that's how life is right now. I thought I'd tell you a little something about Colleen, my wife. I know how to drive her completely crazy. I mean properly, properly crazy. This is what you do, it's quite easy. You, we go somewhere with with my family, we're going to have a big family get together. So aunts, uncles, cousins, second cousins, cousins, children's big family. That's our family. Get them to agree that it would be amazing to go out somewhere. And then just spend the next three hours trying to decide where to go. Because <laughs> that's my family and it drives Colleen bats. All people pleasers and Colleen is like, let's just go. I, I don't do that to her anymore because it's not good. But that family family vibe of mine uh, makes me think a little bit of sometimes how church is. I mean, the, the worship we've just had is amazing. I mean, it, it, we have this awesome worship team and we, I, I love singing together with my church family. I wonder what we would do if that suddenly became illegal. I know all of us would agree we had to do something. All of us would know it's wrong to, for anybody to make worship illegal. And so uh, we have to do something. Uh, I wonder how long it would take us to decide what to do. Because we are like that. The, the fact that we as Christians live in a fallen world and, and that God tells us very clearly that we must stand up against things that are wrong, that we must, we must do things about unrighteousness and sin and injustice in the world. And so often we don't do anything. Um, and I think the reason is that same dynamic, that we, we know something's wrong, and then we don't know what to do about it. And we end up being paralyzed, or we end up arguing about what to do. The Bible is very clear that, that when it comes to not just things like, since the kind of, it's illegal to worship God, things kind of easy. I mean, honestly, it is kind of easy because that would go just straight to affecting us immediately and we'd be angry about it. And so we'd probably figure out something quite quickly. But what about all the other things in the world? The fact that God doesn't just ask us to stand up for our right to worship him. But the truth is God asks us to stand up for much more than that. Let me give you an example um, of God telling us as his children to take a stand against things. In Isaiah 56 verse 1, it says this, This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Or Psalm 82 verse 3, which says, Defend the weak and the fatherless, Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You see, those, those aren't just ideas there. Those are commands to actually do something. They're not just statements to say, 
think it's a bad thing that there are poor people or think that it's bad that there are weak people in the world or 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 think that unrighteousness is bad it's it's more than that it's a command to actually do something about that maintain that word uh maintain justice means that we actually have to actually have to physically do something there um the, the idea of defend the weak and the fatherless uphold the cause of the poor so it's, it's not simply enough that we have an idea that something is wrong we are called to act as followers of jesus when something is wrong often uh, the excuse is made well that's spiritual and and that's physical and our job is to do spiritual stuff that's a false worldview um the physical and the spiritual overlap all the time and so we can't really use that excuse people say well you know we must do the gospel and and that other stuff is secondary well the truth is it's not those two things are intertwined in fact jesus when he announces that he's the messiah in luke chapter 4 when he he, he reads in the temple when he's proclaiming his messiahship, uh, not in the temple, in the synagogue. He reads a passage um, from the Old Testament that talks about setting the captives free, that talks about giving sight to the blind, that talks about, about, about freedom and help for the poor. And he says this passage has been fulfilled. And so Jesus is saying that part of the gospel is, is an internal and an external change in ourselves and in the world around us. The, the people of Israel in the Old Testament are saying to God, God, why are you worried about all this other stuff? We're doing the right stuff in the temple. You know, why are you worried about how we're treating those people or those refugees? Or the, you know, we're doing all, we're sacrificing all the time. In the book of Micah, God says, listen, I don't care how big your sacrifices are. I don't care if you kill thousands of, of cattle and sheep on the altar. I don't care. This is what God requires of you. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this idea that, that Christians should actually take a stand, uh, not just in a theoretical or theological or, or a spiritual sense, but in in every sense, in a physical sense as well, is everywhere in the Bible. But the truth is, mostly churches, or certainly the church tradition that I've grown up in and been around is we're really bad at it. And there's a couple of reasons why we don't take a stand. There are a couple of reasons that we, we seem to find to not take a stand. And I want to go through them really quickly because I want to get to the how-to which is, for me, the most important part of what we're going to talk about this morning. The first reason is a theological reason. I grew up in a Christian environment, in a church environment, where, where there were clearly issues of injustice happening because of our government's laws. Um, and, and they were there to see, um, and, and, and we didn't feel we needed, we should stand up against it. Why? Because of Romans chapter 13. And I'm just going to read the introductory part to it. It says this, 
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, those that consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now that passage goes on and, and unpacks some more things, which I may refer to a little bit later on. But here's the crux. I, I was taught that that passage says we can never stand up against the government. We, we can't because otherwise we're breaking Romans 13. Now, as I've grown and matured and gotten to understand Scripture better, I understand that that's a very major misreading of that Scripture. That, that while it's true, and, and Paul was in Rome, for goodness sake, he was a prisoner. Um, but Well, he later became a prisoner. But, but to, to use that passage as a universal, you can never do such and such is a misunderstanding of that passage and the whole of Scripture. Now, while that passage tells us that if we do stand up against the government, we should consider it very, very carefully before we do. But that passage also talks about spheres of authority, that, that, that everything on earth is under God's authority, whether it's a church family, whether it's a government or a nation, whether it's a a smaller unit of society, whatever it is, we are answerable to God. And sometimes those spheres of society clash with each other, and sometimes they do ungodly things. And in those circumstances, we can stand up against them. And so, so that theological universal red card that says you can't, that passage is not saying that. And so often Christians don't do it because of that passage. I think that passage teaches that Christians can do it, but should be careful when they do it. Second pressure we often feel is a social pressure. We don't want to take a stand uh, because of the society around us. I mean, we've got to get on. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But all of us feel those kinds of pressures that 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 make us sometimes back down perhaps the most the most well-known moment like that in scripture is is the famous betrayal of jesus by the apostle peter when he says lord i'm never i'm never never going to uh deny you i'm never going to go against you and then when he's in the temple courts before jesus's trial and the pressure gets to him and he backs down and he declares, I never knew him and the cock crows. And so sometimes we, we don't take a stand because of social pressure. Another reason we often don't take a stand is because of what I call moral pressure. Now, I, this is a little bit complicated. Well, it's, 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 it's a bit complicated. So all of us have moral hierarchies. Uh, we all have things that are morally important, but some things are more morally important than others. And uh, because we're human, we can't be like God and make absolute judgments about things. 
uh, and we end up in moral dilemmas. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous German theologian who was executed by the Nazis, um, illustrated this incredibly well in one of his letters to a friend where he wrote, to be a Christian in Nazi Germany is to have committed a moral offense. He says, because if we do, if we support Hitler, we are committing a moral sin. If we do nothing about Hitler, we are committing a sin of omission. And if we act in a way to get rid of Hitler, we are most probably going to commit sins in doing that. And so in a sense, Christians in Nazi Germany were trapped. Whatever they did. What I love about that story is that he ends that by saying, and that's why Jesus came. Well, that's one of the reasons Jesus did come, because we are humans. In Scripture, one of the most famous moral dilemmas is in Judges chapter 11, where, where um, a man promises if God gives him the victory, he will uh, sacrifice the first thing that he sees when he gets home. And uh, God grants him the victory and he gets home. And the first thing he sees is his only daughter coming out of his house. And, and the book of Judges tells us that he sacrificed her. That's appalling. His moral hierarchy said that breaking a promise to God was more important than not killing his daughter. Every one of us would, would make the other choice. And we can get into the thing of he shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. But we're human and we end up doing those kinds of things all the time. And so often in the church we are paralyzed into not doing things because, because which is the more right thing to do? We see this so often when our politics plays out. Um, when we have to make a choice between voting for different political parties and, and, and none of them are morally upright and we have to end up making a choice and, we, and, and that moral hierarchy paralyzes us. I'm not going to try and solve those problems for us this morning um, because I think those are problems we solve as we journey around these hard issues together. But what I am going to say is that if we want to do the right thing, if we as individuals and as a church community truly do believe that we should take a stand on difficult and unrighteous and unjust and, and ungodly things in the world, that we must. And the best example are can think of of how we should do that is to stand like Jesus to take a stand like Jesus would take a stand and I'm just going to use a few examples to help us navigate and and truly at the end I, I, I'm not going to try and identify for us as a community a particular thing we should take a stand against uh, I'm not going to try and and start a new movement I'm just going to Ask all of us, as we live in this unjust world, to take seriously the responsibility of, 
of being part of God's kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, both in the spiritual sphere by sharing the gospel of Jesus um, through our words and our actions, but also in the physical sphere by sharing God's gospel in our words and in our actions there. And so the first thing that I see in Jesus' life so clearly that 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 is a stand against the unrighteousness in the world, which is the very thing he came to defend, um, is that he lives a just and righteous life. Now, I know that that, that may sound very pious. Of course, Jesus lived a just and righteous life. <laughs> he was perfect, and so he was God. And so by definition, he lived a just and righteous life. But he lived it out in everything, not just in the big things, but in the small things as well, in the everyday things. We're going to get to some of the big things in a moment. But just think about, about the small actions of Jesus that, that talked about equality and justice and love and mercy. All things that are important in the kingdom of God. When Jesus heals a leper, what does he do? He touches him. That was something that he, he was not supposed to do, but he does it. And he doesn't make a big deal of it. In fact, in fact, when he heals lepers, sometimes he tells them, don't tell other people. But, but even in his daily walk, when Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, he doesn't just preach a few words to her, but he interacts with her. He breaks the social norms. He, 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 he talks to her and interacts with her in ways that other people disapproved of. And he took a stand right there. When, when a woman cries at his feet, he takes a stand. He tells the, the Pharisees who want to judge him that, that, that they are wrong and he's, he's loving that person. He, he, he works against the oppression of women in his, in his society in all sorts of everyday actions. He demonstrates God's love for foreigners, which is a huge, it's always been an issue of injustice in our world. But he, he uses examples like the Good Samaritan. Uh, and, and those kinds of examples, there's an amazing story when him and the disciples are traveling towards Jerusalem and, and they want to go through a certain Samaritan town and, and, um, and the Samaritans don't welcome him in. John and James and John, I think, they say, should we call down fire on these people? And Jesus says, guys, seriously. Well, he doesn't say this, but he says, please don't. Because, because Jesus demonstrates that we must live a life of doing what is right. Not just in the big moments, but in the everyday moments. Paying our taxes. Rendering to Caesar what he sees. Serving the poor. Loving people that other people don't love. Treating all people with dignity, whether they were hated Samaritans or powerful Romans or, or his family. True 
true true activism let me use that word i didn't want to use it because it's got lots of connotations but true truly standing up for what is right in our world has to begin with a life that that stands for righteousness and justice and peace and equality and and fairness in our everyday lives not just in the big moments second thing that i see over and over in jesus's life when he takes a stand is he always takes a stand for others and not for himself and if the church is to be what the church should be we we need to take a stand for others and not for ourselves uh, again I, I go back to our, our my own tradition it, it feels like the only time we take a stand is when our way of life is threatened, when, when we, we, we want to practice religious freedom and we demand it as a right for ourselves. But when somebody else from a different religion's freedom of religion is threatened, we don't stand up for that. But the truth is that Jesus always stood up for others and not for himself. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. One of the, one of the badges of the early Christians was that they, they fought for for the rights and for the and for justice and for freedom for other people not for themselves of course in that fight you do end up fighting for yourselves because freedoms that need to be given to others usually freedoms that need to give be given to us but but remember as followers of jesus we have given up all our rights we we belong to god and so so we should be willing to say in fact, we should be willing to make it not about us. Just like Jesus did again and again. He refuses to defend himself. He refuses to, to say this is about me. We need, if we're going to take a stand like Jesus took a stand, we need to be sure that we're genuinely taking a stand for others. Not for our own selfish ambitions. Here's another, and quite a hard one, especially for me, is that taking a stand, like Jesus took a stand, is not always quiet and peaceful. <laughs> it's not always quiet and peaceful. Um, uh, we, we are very quick, I think, to judge people who uh, protest or take a stand that's disruptive. But perhaps the most famous story of Jesus causing a ruckus is the story of Jesus clearing the temple. And uh, it's a quite a misunderstood story, but it's one of those stories that's in all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20, and John 2. All the Gospels have that story in it. And, and it wasn't peaceful. The, the, 
the gospel writers use words like turning over the tables and 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 Jesus plaiting a whip and driving the animals out the temple. Um, I forget which one of the stories you can go and look. Um, it says Jesus stopped other people coming into the temple. So he physically prevented in some way people coming into the temple. The truth is that it is not against scripture to sometimes create a disturbance in order to protest something. I wish we didn't have to. But as, as you see Jesus repeatedly taking a stand, especially in this story, but in other stories, he, he, the people around him get uncomfortable, sometimes physically uncomfortable, sometimes, sometimes a bit scared. And I think sometimes we, we stop too soon because we somehow imagine that there's a blanket ban in Scripture on, on a protest that disrupts. Listen to how that story is described in John. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others setting out tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. There is a disruption going on there. And it's not a sin because Jesus wouldn't sin. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. That it's okay to go and disrupt people's lives and mess things around. But sometimes it's important enough that if that happens, we're not actually causing us creating a sin. Because sometimes people speak and speak and speak and are not heard until something like what Jesus did there happens. Here's my next one. And and I think it's gonna be a little bit controversial, and it goes back to that same passage. I don't think Jesus ever took a stand with violent intent. I don't think a Christian can ever take a stand with the intention of violence. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he, 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 he made a whip. He did make a whip. And given the context, what's going on there, he probably used the whip to drive the animals out, not to whip the people. He certainly turned the table over. But there is absolutely no evidence that Jesus physically was violent to any of those people in that temple or was physically violent to anybody ever in his whole life. So I, I, I believe that fundamentally Christians, when they take a stand, can never take a stand planning violence against other human beings in advance. Listen to what it says in Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coats, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
Ah, I believe in non-violent protest. I do not believe that all violence is sin. I believe that that when self-defense is necessary, then violence is not a sin. Sadly, we live in a world where most often the first option is violence. And I deeply respect those who refuse to use violence ever. But I do think that the scripture teaches that that certain kinds of violence are justified. Very specifically, I think, in self-defense. That passage in Romans also teaches that the, that the civil authority bear the sword. That kind of enforcement belongs in that sphere of government, that sphere of authority. It certainly doesn't belong in God's people and his church's sphere of authority. Finally, second last, always take a stand in submission to God. <coughs> Jesus makes it very, very clear that what he's doing, he's doing in submission to the Godhead. He, he phrases it like this, I'm doing the will of my Father. Now we know that Jesus, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are co-equal and so they submit to one another. God the Father isn't the boss and Jesus is the subordinate. They are equal, but they submit to one another. We take a stand always in submission to God. The story of Jesus before Pilate, we read this. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if, you were, if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus establishes the fact by his answer that absolutely everything everybody does should be in submission to God. That, that even when we are utterly right, even when, when we are clearly right and somebody else is clearly wrong, we can never do it out of a sense of pride, out of a sense of arrogance, because any authority that we have or anybody else has comes from God. And therefore, we as God's people have to submit to God's authority. It's hard because most often we're, we're driven to protest when it's something that hurts us. But Jesus is making it very clear that anything we do, must be done in submission to God. Finally, whether we are protesting collectively or individually, whether we are taking a stand on our own or as a group together, our stand must always be motivated by love. God's love. Not a selfish Love myself, love, but love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and love my neighbor as much as I love myself, love. The kind of love that a, that a good parent has when they have to discipline their child. The kind of love that, that, 
that sacrifices, the kind of love that Jesus had on the cross when he died. It said, I know this world is broken and I know that something needs to be done about it. And I'm not going to demand that you do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. Christians, we must take a stand. We must allow God to guide us and to, and to, and to identify for us what the big issues that he has on his heart for us. Not our issues, his issues. And we must be able to, in our personal and our private life, take a stand. Because our task isn't just to have Jesus in us to transform ourselves. Or to have Jesus in us to transform our church. But part of what we are here for is to have Jesus in us so that we can transform the community around us. Cannot fall for the lie that says that's about out there and that's and this is about in here. We have to take a stand because because we are the salt and the light of the world. For years I grew up believing that somehow trying to change society was what other people should do. The truth is, it's what God wants us to do standing up for what we believe well let me use the word of really famous theologian J.R. Packer he said trying to improve society is not worldliness but love Father God thank you so much that we get to worship you freely in this country <coughs> thank you that's, that's something we don't need to stand for Lord, we appreciate that. But Lord, our, our country is full of injustice and, and moral decay and, and unrighteousness and, and poverty and hatred of foreigners and, and racial tensions. Lord, so much. Lord, help us to take a stand. But Lord, when we do it, help us to do it like Jesus would. Amen.